Today, advances in machine learning and artificial intelligence are creating a surge of interest in conversational interfaces and natural language processing. This means there's a potential for conversation to be the new mode of interaction with technology. From VSA Partners, this is AI Plus Design, a podcast about the merging relationship of artificial intelligence and design. I'm Scott Tyson, Interaction Design Lead at VSA Partners. I'm here today with technologist and architect Corey Clark and Max Friesen from Born AI. The questions we're looking to discuss today, what are the opportunities and challenges for brands using conversational UI? How do we as designers and technologists build user experiences that are modeled after human conversation? Max, we're excited to have you here. You have a really interesting take on this subject, so we're just going to jump right in. So Max, talk to us about your role and experience at Born AI. It'll be interesting for listeners to understand the activity you all are into. Sure. So I'm the chief creative officer, the chief experience officer, depending on on who I'm talking to. But uh, I'm I'm one of the the three co-founders of of the company. As you guys noted in the intro, we're we're an AI agency. So I'll, we come from a creative and technology background, but with an emphasis on the the creative application of AI, or rather, the application of AI in creative endeavors. Because we come from advertising and marketing backgrounds, it's in this case, we're aiming it very specifically at brands and uh, relationships between brands and people. And my job is to, well, I mean, I guess first and foremost, my job is to figure everything out because there's not a lot of templates for for how this stuff is supposed to work. I mean, there are for transactional bots, I guess, but not for uh, character-driven bots or, or things that have a bit more nuance to them. Um, so, you know, my job is ultimately head of making stuff. So, uh, I work with a multidisciplinary team of writers and UX professionals and service design folks and information architects slash content strategists, um, and, you know, different, uh, different measures of each for different types of projects. And, you know, we work to deliver really amazing experiences that are driven by AI in one form or fashion. So chatbots is certainly one thing, but, uh, you know, there are more subtle ways that it can be insinuated into marketing endeavors as well. Um, and, you know, media buying and media strategy and that sort of thing. So in crafting these conversations, is there a standard process or approach? So there are, as you, you noted, there are lots of different ways to skin this cat, right? So depending on the actual application, we're going to approach it different ways. If we're talking about something a little bit more subtle, where AIs, for example, maybe finding a very difficult signal in a bunch of marketing data and trying to deliver to you a strategy, uh, we would most likely start with, let's say, the machine learning aspect that, of that, right? Like the, the, the strategy behind how you're actually going to train a neural net to do the thing you want it to do to find the signals that you want it to find. If we're doing something that's more customer focused, uh, we start probably with the personality. Uh, and then the middle chunk of all of that is the dialogics, the actual the mechanics of the UX, the, the, you know, the stepwise sort of flow of information based on, on intents. Um, so personality... Character is probably the sexiest part of it, right? Is that's the thing that most most people are most interested in. Um, we kind of take a nerdy pen and paper Dungeons and Dragons approach to this, right? So I, I like to start with filling out a character sheet for the for the the AI. So we might define a bunch of characteristics that we're not even sure if they're going to be germane to whatever the initial conversations are, but down the line, right, you might want to know how dexterous is this character, right? Or does this character run? Is she healthy? Is she not healthy? All of those things um, really add to the kind of fabric and the nuance of the weave. And when the writers get a hold of that, it makes it a lot, 
a much richer experience for them in terms of, of creating conversations. The other reason it's important is that I think personality helps to set the scope. And, and I think when you have a well-defined personality, uh, like when you and I are talking, right, I know what you do. Um, I'm unlikely to assume that if I asked you questions about plumbing, that you would be able to answer those questions, right? Just like when I talk to a plumber, I probably will not ask them uh, to fix my printer, right? So we, we have these archetypes in mind when we meet other humans, um, and they, they tend to curtail a little bit anyways the subject matter that we're going to get into. Obviously, if we're hanging out and having a beer and you're telling me you do home improvement, it's different, right? But starting with that, I think, is super important because it helps to um, helps to avoid dead ends and it helps to avoid um, having to craft a bunch of edge case responses to things that your bot or your, your AI was never really intended to, to solve for. Um, so anyways, we start there, uh, defining the character. Um, typically from there, we'll go into dialogics, which is kind of the other of the three big buckets. Um, and that is, you know, in the traditional like app world, I guess dialogics would be, would be the UX portion of it. So we might sketch out wireframes if we were designing an app when we're doing something that's more conversational, we sketch out, uh, small dialogics is what we call them. So they're little streams of, okay, if this is the trigger, step one, step two, step three, final, final goal of the conversation might be this. And we kind of, we sketch them out disconnected from one another so that you can jump back and forth between all the, all the topics without losing your place. Um, but Trying to figure out what use cases will be is obviously as important in this world as it is when you're designing anything for a human. So, you know, what what do we assume that people will intend to do? And then creating, uh, you know, conversational touch points around those intents. Uh, and then the machine learning bit, which I touched on earlier, is, is sort of the other big chunk. Um, and, you know, that really is is the, the sort of art of figuring out what it is that you want your AI to be very good at in a year or two years. Um, and typically it's a virtuous cycle where you sort of, you figure that out, you, you set up your experiments and you set up your, your algorithms to, or your, your models to, to get your net to the place you want it to get to. But often you'll circle back around to the character or the dialogue portion and you might adjust it here or there to help to facilitate, you know, whatever, getting better at a certain kind of thing. So anyways, those are the three big chunks that we typically move through. So does the personality come through in all of these facets or is it mostly controlled by the writing or the dialogics or is it built into the machine learning? Yeah, it comes through all of them. I mean, the personality, I think, defines to some extent which dialogics you need to concentrate on. Because, again, if you are, you know, if I introduce you to somebody over Facebook Messenger and said, this is, you know, this is my plumber, um, I, I've kind of headed off at the past the idea that you're going to, to, to ask that person a bunch of questions that, that they have no no idea about. And it's the same deal with a bot, right? I mean, the thing that sucks about most chatbots or most AIs in general is uh, I feel like people have like a tendency to try to go break them immediately. And that's largely because they, they very rarely come with any sort of defined boundaries. And so people, I don't know, I feel like it's, it's like a, um, it's not vandalism per se, but I think it's a bit of a, a flaunting of the fact that like, I know that you're not a real person or whatever. Um, so I think when you, when you come at them and you, and you have an actual character, you have an actual personality, I think it helps to sort of put them in the frame of mind of a natural organic conversation. So that helps because again, it, it keeps your efforts on the dialogics more streamlined around the actual material that you want to write around. And yeah, I mean, obviously in terms of the actual dialogue, it, it I mean, that's where it comes through. So you, you know, it colors that pretty heavily. 
How about mapping out those conversations? Is there a UX involved? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the the workflow for it is interesting. It's not, a, you know, in the the kind of the the traditional ad world, right? You get your art director and your copywriter duo, and then if you're a modern shop, you, you'll probably have an XD or a UX involved in that mix as well. And everyone kind of pitches ideas together, and, and they work on the same sort of deliverables. If you're, you know, if you're working again, sort of like Schmagile or whatever, people are sketching things and and whatever. The, it, it's a well understood process at this point, and so well understood that we have, you know, we have multiple flavors of it. <clears throat> this is a little bit different. So yes, absolutely. The, the UX skills come into play when you're figuring out those dialogics, right? So, oh, this person, you know, I think I figured out that they want to, um, you know, they want to talk about baseball or whatever. So from a, from a UX perspective, what's the best way to kind of walk through that conversation, given whatever the lens of the, of the client is, as well as the lens of the, of the person using the, the software, using the, the, the AI. Um, what we find works best is to have, we do an outside in design process. Um, so we start with imagining an ideal conversation around the topic in, in question, whatever it is. And we sort of script it out like a screenplay with stage direction from the UX or, you know, often translated by the writer, but uh, stage direction that, that otherwise talks about backend processes, right? Like, okay, great. We're going to use this API to pull and pull in this type of media and show it or whatever. Um, but we start with something like that. That's not interactive, right? And it's not, it doesn't show all the, the permutations and possibilities and the winding roads that could occur in that conversation. It's just kind of the critical path. Um, and from there, the UX folks take that and start to break it up into, uh, into, you know, they atomize it basically. And they put it into, we have our own dashboard that we've built that, that is essentially a a spreadsheet slash JSON builder, but uh, you know, it enables you to kind of have that conversation broken up into mechanical parts. Uh, And it's a feedback loop. So we, we work in very small iterative cycles where we sort of, we figure out what the critical paths are that we're trying to build around. Um, we do that same thing I just mentioned for each of those. The UX folks sort of get it. They manipulate it a bit. Often the writer will come back in, take a look at it, smooth out the edges or, or suggest something different. But it kind of goes back and forth like that for a while. Uh, that, that's how we do the bulk of the critical pathing. The, the real tricky part comes after something is live and you're training it and you're realizing... Oh, well, shit, we didn't expect them to ask these types of questions, right? Or, wow, everybody wants to buy hats. We thought everyone was going to want to buy tickets. Whatever the thing is, um, you know, you, you have to kind of pull the team back together to do a similar type of exercise. Um, and then there's also the the optimization of things. So when we, when we see our analytics, we like to look at, um, you know, what is killing conversations and what's making conversations last longer. And so we'll often have multivariant testing in the dialogue. So we'll say, okay, great. We're going to have, you know, the AI is going to respond with this type of jargon for this audience. And they're going to, we're going to try a different type of jargon with somebody else. Right. And we're going to try a totally different approach with the other group. And we, you know, again, we, we test to see which elements actually keep people engaged the longest. And although that can be done, you know, algorithmically, uh, very often it actually involves having the writer and the UX team get back together again to sort of figure out a better way through, especially if, if none of the approaches are working very well. So on that note, how do you test some of that? Do you see roadblocks and then act on it? Yeah. Uh, well, we test it by, I mean, ideally you, you make it live, right? So it, not necessarily the thing you intend 
to have as the final version of an AI, but, but a lot of brands choose to do something smaller and more stealth and put, you know, a very small, uh, like an entertainment, maybe it does like a game of some sort live on kick or on Facebook, try to get as many interactions with it as possible. And we try to very cleverly design those experiences such that it is good at learning a specific type of intent, even if it's not exactly the, the same implementation that's going to go live, say, six months later. So that's a pretty common approach. Uh, I'd say three months in a box is about the extent of, that's about as far as you're going to get without giving it thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of interactions. I mean, you can mechanical Turk some of the training up front, right? You can do some, yeah, you, you can pull from some of the open source libraries and, and, you know, assume that you're going to get sort of similar results and all that stuff. But about three months in it's, it's as good as it's going to get without just getting pummeled by real people. Uh, so yeah, so three months to get to that point, I'd say on average or at the, at the, at the deep end, and then to your, to your, what you were actually asking, which is how long do we have to leave it out there training? That's a lot more variable. I mean, it's really not about time. It's about number of interactions, right? So to some extent it comes down to like, well, how cleverly did you launch this stealth thing, right? Or if it's not stealth, if it's branded, but it's being put out in beta, did you spend media dollars to drive to it, right? I mean, bot discovery is not fantastic today. Kick is probably the best of all those platforms, um, but it's also not necessarily where the meaty middle is for a lot of brands. Facebook is getting better at it, but uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately it takes a bit of, of energy and, and resources to actually get those, those interactions in the first place. So that has a lot to do with how long it actually takes. So when you're testing, how much of this is organic self-learning and how much is human guided? And are these things continuing to evolve? No, it's, I mean, it's always evolving. So the, the optimization stuff kicks in pretty much right away, even, even if you're just sort of optimizing the test bot and it's not really the thing you're going to launch with at the end of the day. I mean, you, no matter how good you are at guessing intense, people will always throw you for a loop. I mean, you're always going to get stuff that you're like, oh, yeah, we whatever. We didn't think about people phrasing it that way or we didn't think about people arriving at that conclusion at that point in a conversation. Uh, so, yeah, so you're always messing with it. You're, you're always optimizing. You're always doing some sort of MVT on the thing. There's two ways to do that. The first way is to have the, the neural net sort of self-train. That typically doesn't start to happen until it's pretty mature and, and has a really good sense of what success looks like. The, the earlier stages of that tend to happen in batches. So, I mean, again, we, we need a certain number of interactions to, to have it make sense. But, you know, we're also people. So sometimes we, we peg it to like a weekly schedule or a biweekly schedule instead. Um, you know, ideally you'd get, you know, a few tens of thousands of things before you start to really bother to go through and do additional work. So what's the feedback loop once this is live? What are you using to feed into it so that it learns? Are you looking at engagement? Are you looking at whether people just hang up and don't come back? That's a major one for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you definitely don't want people to stop talking to it. Yeah, so we tend to look, yeah, I mean, you know, length, length of engagement is definitely, I mean, it's, it's common. I mean, it depends, right? Like if what you're trying to do is build a bot that does something like, I don't know, it books a trip for you or whatever. I mean, honestly, spending a lot of time with it might be a sign that it sucks, right? I mean, it might be something where the person's like this, I wanted to get in and out and this is taking longer than using the actual app would take. But yeah, I mean, by and large, the kinds of things that we, that we tend to, uh, to work on, which are really personality driven, the goal is in fact to get somebody to, to chat longer, to, 
to get more intimate with, with the AI character. So certainly there's the time spent. There's also usually a model that we have of the user, um, much like in traditional media or advertising where you have kind of a customer view or whatever you might call it, right? So yeah, well, we know this person lives here and this is their demo, this is their psycho, whatever. We have that too, but then there's an additional bundle of things which are like the conversational attributes, right? So you can inquire about and learn very different types of things in a conversational model. So we might put as part of our success model, uh, we want everyone to tell us what they do for a living and if they like their job. I mean, I'm, I'm making that up, right? But imagine a use case for an HR organization or something like that. Um, it's tricky to get someone to divulge that, but that might be the metric that we use for success. Just like with any other ad campaign, I suppose, you, you have your KPI and, and that's largely what you, what you look at to determine if you're doing a good job or a bad job. So does that feed into the neural network? Yeah, yeah. So that as people fall out the other side, that you can say that was total success. We, this person told us all the things we wanted to know. They spent a lot of time with the bot. Their affinity score is really high. They've recommended us, whatever it is, right? Yeah, that becomes your success model that you feed into the net to say, okay, great, do this, right? Like figure out how to get someone to this point over and over again. Um, and we're not quite at the place yet, obviously, where we do. Natural language generation is, I mean, that stuff lives on the bleeding edge. That's not really stuff that, that is like prosumer ready yet. Um, someday, you know, the training for that stuff will be a lot more fluid where you really just say, hey, we want to have people walk out with this kind of feeling. And the AI is like, great, I have a whole, you know, toolkit of ways I can, you know, get all the feels from people. For now, it's a bit more mechanical, right? So yeah, you're feeding in that success metric, but you're also in a way sort of building the Rube Goldberg device that the AI uses as its confine of the, the possible parameters it can f with, right? It can't invent its own parameters yet. Um, so yeah, a bit mechanical now, it gets a bit more fluid, I'd say over the next couple of years. So it's still early days for bots. Everyone seems to want one. Everyone's excited about having one. Are there particular businesses that are approaching you or particular industries that you think they're a better fit for? Yeah, I mean, I think CRM is kind of the early adopter of this thing for a lot of reasons, primarily because they have a ton of structured data around conversations that have to do with customer relationships, right? So they're really good at knowing when somebody wants to return an item, for example, because they've got, again, 20 years of, of examples of what that looks like in conversation. Um, so then the other reason is that CRM, you know, if you can tell somebody, like, I can reduce, you know, the percentage of time that your customer, or I can increase the number of uh, yield of your call center by 5%, that is massive for, for certain types of companies, right? So that, that's a no-brainer. It, it's an easy thing. You, you save a little bit on margins and, and you make something more efficient and you have a lot of data to train on. I actually feel like some of the CRM frameworks that are out there, the, the, the CRM NLUs are probably amongst some of the strongest in, in terms of the consumer stuff that's out. Um, beyond that, I would say it's largely a scrum right now, as you kind of suggested, there's a lot of, of like me tooism. There's a lot of like, well, we, we read that every brand has to have an AI strategy and our AI strategy is to build a bot as fast as possible or as soon as possible. What should it do? You know, which is like, if that's the conversation you're having, you, <laughs> that is a bad conversation to be having. Um, so outside of CRM, I can't say that there are any leading industries. I will say that the ones that we tend to work with are ones that um, that deal with IPs, uh, that deal with, with characters that are kind of established already in some other medium. Um, those work really well because there's sort of an understanding 
from the audience's perspective of how to approach that character or that personality because they've encountered them somewhere else, a book or, or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's kind of a natural fit as well. I think the entertainment world, uh, and then, you know, I think e-com retail, all those places, I mean, like anything that that's going to be hyper transactional, I think that, I think all that stuff makes sense. I mean, I can, in a way it, it's, it's like saying, well, who should be digital in 2000? Like, well, you all should, everybody should. I mean, AI is a thing. It's not going to go away. You need to figure out what your approach to it's going to be. I think chatbots are just kind of a foot soldier in that, in that, um, movement. So if you view AI, the final goal of it to have machines that can understand what people want and then give them the best possible solution, if that is sort of the, the nirvana of, of AI. And if, so, for example, if you're a brand, it's a way to understand what each customer really wants at a one-to-one level. Um, then, you know, chatbots are a great way to get started in building out that sort of model of the user and understanding something about the user. But it may or may not be the actual destination that your brand needs. It, it may not be something that, that sticks around. Although I think, you know, the, the bet people are making right now is that everything's going to go voice at some point, right? So voice will be your, your primary point of interaction with the digital world. And in that regard, I suppose everybody will have to figure out how to reprogram their site as a conversation. What kind of questions are you asking your clients to prepare them for this? Are there things they need to be doing on their side? Yes and no. I mean, so a lot of clients have already built a big DMP, really. That's you know what, what we've been selling to them for the last 15 years. I think the, the problem is that as we sold in these massive DMPs, we, we neglected to mention that they would also need um, you know an army of data scientists to actually make sense of it. So I talked to a lot of brands that have got a ton of, you know, very transactional information about their customers, but they don't really know what to do with it. They just built, you know, either new segments out of it that they didn't have before, right? Or they've refined what they think the psychographics of their customers are or whatever. But without AI, it's pretty tough to find real signal in, in all that data. Uh, it also is pretty useless by itself. It's mostly, it, it's useful when you start to combine it with other interesting data sets. So when I talk to brands and they want to know what should we do to get started on AI or what, what aren't we set up to do right now, if assuming that they already have a data platform in place, the, the next thing they need to do is get comfortable with data science and get comfortable with the idea of um, actually running experiments on that data and, and trying to get meaningful signal out of it. And then the other piece of advice that we give them is to is to get started and to roll their own their own NLUs, not to you know to not build things on API.ai or not build things on Wit because those platforms. I mean, it's the same with all the walled gardens, right? Like you can, if you're Walmart and you don't respond to Amazon in 2000, you are fucked, right? Amazon now determines the prices for pretty much every consumer good in the country and beyond because they have that scale. Uh, there's no fast follow. You, it's hard to catch up with Amazon all of a sudden and say, oh, we're also going to be the big dot-com that sells everything. We only needed one. Um, and so we have that situation developing again now where we have Alexa, right, or Lex. We have Apple's Siri. We have Cortana. Um, none of these things play together. So, you know, their bet is that you as a brand are going to go build something on their platform. Um, and that might look very appealing today, but I would argue that, you know, all your data, all, all of the interesting stuff you're finding out is, is also going to Google, right? It's also going to Apple. That may or may not be all that desirable to you in five years time. Um, and the other thing is that those brands are not necessarily, they're going to program their NLUs to get really good at the most common use cases. But 
if you are a brand that has any sort of of, um, of differentiating you know product or, or differentiating aspect to the actual lifestyle of the brand itself, I, I think you want to you want to roll an NLU that can get good at the stuff that you specifically want it to get good at. That can find signal that's very specific to your customers and not to a larger consumer, you know, writ large. Um, so we tell them to go ahead and, and, and hire data scientists, hire Python people, and start to play with that stuff and get comfortable with it just to get the vocabulary sort of circulated throughout the organization. Because honestly, as with all human endeavors, the biggest roadblock is much like it, it was in 2000 or the late 90s, getting the right C-level people in the organization to understand the roles that each of them needs to play in the upcoming artificial intelligence ecosystems that, that, that are going to be built. Um, understanding where the CTO and the CMO overlap, adjusting budgets accordingly, all of these things need to be recalibrated to a world where big data is really driving decisions. So you touched on this here and there, like who needs to use it and why. Do you think conversational UI is right for every brand? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I do. I do think that at some point every brand will will have to uh, will have to address it, right? Much in the same way that every brand had to figure out how to use the internet. Um, does that mean that every single brand needs to make that the center piece of their experience? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think if you're Disney, that that never came true, right? I mean, yeah, sure. Obviously, they have. They use the internet, but they don't use it to build out Disney.com as some kind of a destination, right? They distribute their their stuff over the internet. Um, so, you know, to that extent, I'm sure that there will be brands for which AI is an element that happens largely in the background, right? A thing that helps them to do better media buys, a thing that helps them to understand their customers better or to reduce their call center time or all that stuff. Uh, will it become the primary interaction point for every client that they have? Maybe not, right? Especially, I think the more experiential you are as a brand, the less likely, or at least the longer that will take. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard for me to look at the potential of AI and not imagine it being as ubiquitous as, say, like digital is today, right? I think it'll be, it'll sound as silly in 10 years to talk about AI as something that's separate from the rest of the world as it does to talk about digital as something that isn't just a part of the real world today. Great. That's a great note to end on, (laughs) ubiquity of of AI. Uh, So thanks a lot, Max, for for coming and, and talking with us. Thank you.